passion for God and compassion for our neighbor. Reaching our region and beyond with the life-changing message of Jesus Christ. This is Crosswinds Church. And now, here's Pastor Jordan Gowing. I have a confession this morning as, as we begin, and it's kind of embarrassing. Um, this past week, Crystal and I were at the end of our rope. Um, we uh, were tired. Silas was being a little ornery, and we put up the Christmas tree. I'm, I'm a firm believer in no Christmas tree uh, until after Thanksgiving. This is the first time I've ever done this, uh, but we put up the Christmas tree, and I don't regret it one bit. Uh, Christmas is just around the corner, even though Thanksgiving is coming uh, in, in between here. And, and uh, no judgment here, uh, because I'm with you now. Uh, if you put the tree up before Thanksgiving, no judgment here. Uh, no ju- judgment, however you choose to celebrate Christmas. Uh, it is one of the best, it is one of the busiest times of the year for the church, but it is one of the most wonderful Times. As a church, we love Christmas. We love to celebrate the coming of Christ, the incarnation. But this love for Christmas reaches far beyond the walls of the church, doesn't it? There are many people who are outside the church who, who aren't Christians or who would only say they're a Christian in name, and yet they don't truly follow Christ, who, who would say there's something special about Christmas. There's, there's something about it. It's either the, the snow that falls or the time to spend with family or the, the chance to do something good for other people that makes Christmas special. But in all of these situations, really, the core roots of what makes Christmas special is just nothing but nostalgia. You ask people what the, the true meaning of Christmas is, and they'll say, well, it, it, it really just means that you're supposed to spend time with family. Or you go to church on on Christmas Eve, or you do something good for others once a year. And I don't don't have an issue with that. I don't have an issue with with spending time with your family. I don't have an issue with, with trying to do good. I don't have an issue, of course, with going to church on Christmas Eve. These are all good things. But the truth is, they are not the main things. There's no why as to why we do all of these things. There's no root for doing good things. They're not the main thing, or rather the main person. You see, this calling that, that people seem to emphasize uh, during the Christmas season, this, this calling to, to do good for other people, it's a, it's a good, noble task. And in fact, it's found in the Bible. The Bible calls all of us as Christians to be on mission to bless other people. From the very beginning of the Bible all the way to the end, there's this calling for the people of God to live as blessings for everyone who is around them. And this idea of being a blessing can take many forms. We'll get into that here in a moment. But there is a clear purpose behind this calling. And that clear purpose is to point people to Jesus. This morning we're going to look at a passage uh, from the book of Genesis that, that talks about this calling to be a blessing. Thousands of years ago in the book of Genesis, God used Joseph to save the entire known world and to save especially his family as they were escaping a famine in Canaan. Joseph was one of the leaders of Egypt, and after his dad had thought he had been dead for over 20 years, he is reunited with his father. And if, if this was Hollywood, 
This was something that you would see on the big screen. This reunion would be just like the, the, the kicker of the movie. There'd be some emotional strings playing in the background because it was the climax of the story. It would probably take place in the rain because why not? And as they, they come together, they see each other from a long distance and they run toward each other and they embrace each other with a giant hug. And that is good writing. And certainly, the reunion between Jacob and his, father, and his son Joseph is a big deal. This is certainly a big deal to Jacob and to Joseph. It was the end of 20 years of quote-unquote exile for Joseph, and yet the surprising thing is the Bible only spends two verses on it. The Bible only spends two verses talking about this reunion between the two of them, and we might be wondering what's going on. Perhaps God missed his opportunity. He missed his chance to, to tug at the heartstrings of the readers. Or maybe perhaps God has something bigger in store. Perhaps while this reunion is certainly important, it is not the main point of Genesis. It is not the main point of the story of Joseph. And God is doing something bigger than Jacob. God is doing something bigger than Joseph. God is doing something bigger than their reunion. And immediately after this reunion, we see the attention shift. And Joseph's brothers are before Pharaoh. And then soon Jacob himself is before Pharaoh. And that's where we're going to be this morning. If you have a Bible, I invite you to open up to Genesis chapter 47. We're going to be looking just just a few short verses. Verses 7 through 12. I want you to picture this scene as Joseph is uh, bringing his father Jacob in before Pharaoh. Pharaoh, the most uh, important man in the world. The people he ruled over considered this man to be a god. This is a man who's clean shaven from head to toe. He's handsome. He's dressed in white linens. When he speaks, people bow down to him. He's the man who holds the power of life and death over everyone in Egypt. There is no man There is no beast that is more majestic than him. And before him stands Jacob. Jacob is 130. I imagine that his body has begun to atrophy. I imagine that he's begun to be bent in on himself. He's covered in gray hair. His clothes are covered with the smells and the stains of decades of working with livestock. He's a foreigner who's completely and utterly dependent upon the mercy of of Pharaoh in this moment. And what we see in these short few verses is that Jacob blesses Pharaoh. Jacob blesses Pharaoh. Not Pharaoh blessing Jacob. Jacob blesses Pharaoh. And as we look at this passage, I think that we can learn simply how we also, as Christians, can be a blessing to others as well. It doesn't matter our outside appearances. It doesn't matter what we look like or or what our past has been. God can use a decrepit old man like Jacob to accomplish his purposes. And God can use you and God can use me to accomplish his purposes. It's astounding that God doesn't use the vibrant ruler of all of humanity 
but instead uses Jacob to bless Pharaoh. As we jump into this passage, we're going to see that there are simply four principles for us this morning on how to be a blessing to those who are around us. So if you have your Bible, open up to chapter 47. We're going to start in verse 7. Please follow along as I read aloud. Then Joseph brought in Jacob his father and stood him before Pharaoh, and Jacob blessed Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said to Jacob, how many are the days of the years of your life? And Jacob said to Pharaoh, the days of the years of my sojourning are 130 years. Few and evil have been the years of my life, and they have not attained to the days of the years of the lives of my father and the days of their sojourning. And Jacob blessed Pharaoh and went out from the presence of Pharaoh. And Joseph settled his father and his brothers And gave them a possession in the land of Egypt and the best of the land in the land of Ramses as Pharaoh had commanded. And Joseph provided his father, his brothers, and all his father's household with food according to the number of their dependents. It's a very interesting passage, and we can, we can be left wondering what exactly is going on here. But notice what, what takes place. The first thing that Jacob does when he sees Pharaoh is he blesses him. And then after this really, really, I'm just going to be honest, really depressing outlook on life where he says, woe is me, my life has been really pretty bad and awful. And then all of a sudden he just cuts off his interview, so to speak, with Pharaoh and says, all right, I'm leaving, but I'm going to bless you again. He blesses Pharaoh not just once, but twice here. And in the passage, in the context, this word bless can simply just mean greet. He just greets Pharaoh, and then he thanks Pharaoh when he's leaving. But that misses out on the importance of this word. This word bless throughout the book of Genesis is something important. It's significant for us to remember, especially when it comes to Jacob's family. If we remember all the way back to Genesis chapter 12, the reason why God called Abraham, why God called Isaac and Jacob, his descendants, God calls them for a Purpose. Let's take a look at verses 1 through 3 of chapter 12. Now the Lord said to Abraham, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Just in three short verses there, the word bless and its derivatives is used five times. What's the purpose of Abraham being called by God? It's for his family to be a blessing. It's for God to use his family to bless all that they interact with. Notice especially the last phrase there of verse 3. In you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. We're going to come back to that here in just a few moments. What's really fascinating about Genesis chapter 12, about this call to be a blessing wherever they go, it is relatively passive. The passage doesn't tell us that Abraham is sent out to be a blessing to others. It says instead that as he's going on his way, 
as he's just living his life, as he's trying to follow God, naturally what's going to take place is that God is going to bless people through their interactions with Abraham and through their interactions with Abraham's offspring. And here in Genesis 47, in spite of all of Jacob's pessimism, Jacob does not lose sight of this calling. He does not lose sight of his calling to bless Pharaoh. And this is one of the only times in the Old Testament that a person who is inferior in status blesses someone who is greater. Remember that contrast we talked about this morning, the contrast between the greatness of Pharaoh and the lowliness of Jacob. What's being emphasized here is the opposite of what we would expect. We would expect Pharaoh to be blessing Jacob, and yet Jacob blesses Pharaoh. God has a plan throughout the book of Genesis to bless every single family on earth through Jacob and his offspring. That's what the book of Genesis is ultimately about. That's what the Old Testament is ultimately about. God is planning to bless the entire world through this family. In fact, that's really what the entire Bible is about in a way. It's about God planning to bless all humanity through this family. Genesis chapter 22, right after the the climax of Abraham's life, Right after God calls him to sacrifice his only son Isaac on the altar of Mount Moriah, God intervenes after his obedience and says this, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you. And I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of the heaven, and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. Right after God tests Abraham with Isaac on Moriah, he promises that he will have an offspring that will bless all of the nations on earth. And notice this passage. Notice what's going on here. It's not offspring as a plural It's offspring as a singular. Now, we're not going to get into an English lesson here, but this is extremely important. This word offspring is singular. It is not just God's plan to bless all the nations on earth through the descendants of Abraham, but to bless all the nations on earth through the descendant of Abraham. Paul makes this very clear in Galatians chapter 3. He says, now the promises that were made to Abraham and to his offspring do not say, and to offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one, and to your offspring, who is Christ. Another passage here from Isaiah Isaiah chapter 49 makes this clear as well. He says, being God, it is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. 
Thus says the Lord, the Redeemer of Israel and his Holy One, to one deeply despised, abhorred by the nations, the servant of rulers, kings shall see and arise, princes, and they shall prostrate themselves because of the Lord who is faithful, the Lord, the Holy One of Israel, who has chosen you. This passage is not referring just to the people of Israel. It's not just a plan to bless Israel for Israel's sake, but it's instead a plan to bless all of the nations on the face of the planet through Christ Jesus. That's what's being focused on here in Genesis chapter 22 when it talks about the seed. It is Christ. That's the focus in, Genesis, in Isaiah 49 when it focuses on this servant who is Christ. God's plan from the beginning is ultimately fulfilled in Christ to bless the families of the nation through Christ. And yet at the same time that it is ultimately fulfilled in Christ, what we see here is that this plan to bless the nations is also fulfilled in in thousands of of micro-ways Not microwaves, microwaves through Abraham, through Isaac, through Jacob, and through their offspring. They're not just saved for themselves. They're not just set apart for themselves. Israel is called to the micro-fulfillment of this calling to bless. And what we see in the New Testament is that this calling to be a blessing, this calling to bless others, is not just Jacob's calling. It is not just Israel's calling, but it is our calling as well. Hear these words from Galatians chapter 3. Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed, along with Abraham, the man of faith. For in Christ Jesus... You are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you were baptized into Christ, have put on Christ. There is no Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offsprings, heirs according to his promise. What Galatians tells us is that if we have placed our faith in Christ then now we are children of Abraham. And because of this, because we are Abraham's children, we are his spiritual children, then this calling to be a blessing to the nations, to bless others, which is, again, ultimately fulfilled in Christ, is also our calling as well. Just like Abraham, just like Isaac, just like Jacob, just like the people of Israel, our lives are to be lives of blessings to the nations. Because of Jesus Christ. Now you might be wondering, what on earth does it mean to be a blessing? After all, that is literally one of the most Christianized phrases out there. To be a blessing. Oh, I just want to be a blessing to people. I just want to bless you. What does it mean to be a blessing? It's thrown around all the time. It's rarely defined in the church. So what does it mean for us to bless? Well, I think we see two things here, two ways. First, we look at the life of Jacob. Jacob, for him, simply blessing Pharaoh was with his words. We don't have to pretend this is anything more than it was. He simply blessed Pharaoh with his words. He doesn't do much more than pronounce a blessing upon him. That doesn't diminish the importance of what he said. 
But let's not be unfaithful to what happens. To bless others is simply to use our words at times. To be an encouragement, to exhort them, to speak life into them. But second, it is more than that. If we look at the life of Joseph in Genesis 47, we see that Joseph doesn't just bless people with his words, but he blesses people with his actions. The people of God are blessed by Joseph because he intercedes for them. And because he intercedes for them, they receive the land of Goshen, this land of Ramses here. It's an intercession that is sacrificial on behalf of Joseph. And next week, what we're going to look at, we're going to see that it is not just the people of God who are blessed by Joseph's actions, but also all of Egypt is blessed during this famine because they survive, thanks to Joseph. Joseph's actions are blessings. It doesn't matter if they're for people in God's family or outside of God's family. And that calling is really the same for us. It doesn't matter if we are surrounded by people outside of God's family or if we are in God's family. We are called to be a blessing with our actions and with our words. To speak life into those who are around us, but also to be sacrificial, also to be timely in our actions on behalf of those who are in need. So Jacob's calling, his calling to bless, is also our calling. And this passage tells us four truths that shape that calling. Let's jump in and look at each and every one of them. First one is this, no matter how bad life seems, I can still bless others. No matter how bad life seems, I can still bless others. After he blesses Pharaoh the first time, uh, Pharaoh asks him a question and says, how old are you? Essentially, that's what he says. And Jacob responds with just this extremely negative response, this answer. Pharaoh says, how old are you? And he says, I'm 130, but my life's been evil and it's been short. Okay. That's pretty surprising. Is he right? 130 years is short? Did Jacob wake up on the wrong side of the the bed here? Or is he right in his description? In one sense, yeah, he's right. His life has been a life of, of pain, a life of turmoil. He grew up in a broken family, a family that was torn apart by favoritism. He had to flee home when he was young because his brother tried to kill him. When he went and lived with his uncle, his uncle deceived him, took advantage of him. When he returned back to the promised land and lived near Shechem, he almost got killed by the Canaanites because of the actions of his sons. He lost his wonderful, beloved wife, Rachel, far too soon. He lost his loved son, Joseph, far too soon. Now he has lost everything because of a famine. In one sense, Jacob is right. His life has been tough. And many of us can relate to Jacob. We can relate to his attitude as well. It seems like the bad in our lives at times can be extremely overwhelming. Maybe, like Jacob, you have a childhood that's still haunting you to this day. Maybe it was favoritism like Jacob, but maybe it was abuse. 
Maybe it was a broken home. Maybe you have a childhood that tints everything that you see today because of the actions of those that you could not control. Maybe, like Jacob, you have felt the pain of a business failure. Maybe you were taken advantage of by someone close to you, like Jacob was taken advantage of with his uncle Laban. And maybe not. Maybe you were laid off because of finances for your company. Maybe it was because of uh, this difficult work environment with one of your coworkers or your employer. And maybe... The pain of business has tinted the rest of the things in your life. And you look through it, look through these lenses at the rest of life. Maybe, like Jacob, it's the actions of your family members that have left your life pretty difficult. Just like his sons in Shechem, in Genesis chapter 34, maybe you also are being held captive, and I use that term loosely, by the actions of your children. You, you taught them to follow God, and they want nothing to do with God, and they, 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 they are leaving you with the consequences of their actions. Maybe you find yourself in a place where your family has been greatly hurt by your spouse. And everything that you do, everything that you see in life is tinted by these actions of family members who make your life difficult. And maybe just like Jacob, you have lost someone you loved too soon. A spouse, a parent, a child. These things can shape us, can make us bitter, just like Jacob here. The bad can sometimes seem overwhelming. That's the way it was for Jacob. That's the way it was for Jacob. But even in the midst of this hardship, note, what he does. He still blesses Pharaoh. He blesses Pharaoh twice. He doesn't let the bad that he's experienced distract him from his calling to be a blessing. And this morning, is it possible for you to do the same? Is it possible for you to do the same, no matter how bad your life has been? Is it possible for you to scrounge up whatever meager offering that you can give to bless others? This passage tells us it's possible. No matter what comes our way, we can still live as a blessing for those who are around us. No matter how bad life seems, I can still bless others. Second principle that we see here is this. No matter how good life seems, I still must bless others. Jacob describes his life as a train wreck. One of the most shocking descriptions of his life, especially as he's standing before this man who has just granted his family some of the best land in Egypt. Imagine standing before the president who has just given you a pardon, who has taken care of your family, and he says, so how old are you? And you say, well, my life's just awful. Talk about thankfulness. Fair... Jacob right here, he's got this pessimistic attitude, and in one sense his life is a train wreck, but in another sense his life is pretty good. He forgets that most of his life, or most of the struggles in his life, are are caused by his own sin. 
He forgets all of the good things that have happened to him, that he's been blessed greatly. He's a part of the family that will inherit the promises of God. He is wealthy beyond beyond his wildest dreams because of God's favor upon his life, or at least he was before this famine. He may have lost his son, but he had just been reunited with him. He had experienced a lot of bad, but he'd also had a lot of good in his life as well. But just like many of us, he tended to focus on the negative. Perhaps the good in Jacob's life describes your life. Perhaps you have a great life where you are financially secure. Your family is healthy and your family is whole. Your family uh, couldn't be stronger in their walk with God. And if that's you, I I praise God for you. But if that's you, beware of this temptation. In the good, don't lose sight of God's calling on your life. Don't lose sight of God's calling on your life. When abundance comes, we can grow lax in our pursuit of God. Just like King Solomon, who started off well, but as God blessed him and blessed him with more, he grew distracted and began to live for things other than for God. You were not created for wealth. You were not created for luxury. You were not created to live out the American dream. You were created for something bigger and better and more satisfying. You're created for more than just a nice house and a nice neighborhood with a nice job and a full bank account. Those are good things. Those are good things. I'm not at all disparaging those things unless we lose sight of our calling in the midst of them. If you've been blessed with a good life, thank God for that. But then ask, how can I use the good that God has given me to bless others? And this isn't just about finances. How can I use my healthy family, my whole family, my joyful life? How can I use these things, my time and my energy to bless others? How can I live out God's calling in my life to be a blessing where he has planted me? No matter how good life seems, we still must bless others. You see, the reality is, like Jacob, most of us live lives in seasons. We have good seasons and we have bad seasons. Now, that might not be as extreme as Jacob. We might not be one of the most wealthy, one of the wealthiest people in the world like Jacob was at that time. And we might not lose our uh, family or our son because of the murderous intent of our other children. The highs and lows might not be as bad for us, but oftentimes, like Jacob, we can find ourselves in seasons of good, in seasons of plenty, and in seasons of bad, in seasons of a lack. And yet this passage makes clear that whatever season we find ourselves in, we are called to bless others. We will have opportunities to bless others. Third truth for us this morning is this, no matter my position, I can still bless others. No matter my position, I can still bless others. Remember our contrast between Pharaoh and Jacob this morning. While Pharaoh certainly does bless Jacob by giving his family land, it first starts with Jacob blessing Pharaoh. 
The social conventions of the day did not matter to Jacob. This is a man who had next to nothing, and yet he's blessing the most powerful man in the world. Our calling to bless others does not depend on our status. It does not depend on how much we have or don't have. It doesn't depend on whether we've been a Christian for a long time or for a very short time. It doesn't depend on having a high position in the church or no position in the church. It doesn't depend on us being a church member or not. We are called to live lives of blessings. And that is universal regardless of our status. That's our third principle. Our fourth one is is this. It's probably the most important one for us this morning, and that is the, the key. The key to living as a blessing is to have an eternal perspective. To have an eternal perspective. Let's take a look again at this shocking interchange between Pharaoh and Jacob here this morning. Verse 8, And Pharaoh said to Jacob, How many are the days of the years of your life? And Jacob said to Pharaoh, The days of the years of my sojourning are 130 years. How does Jacob describe his life there? Pharaoh says, How long is your life? And Jacob says, I've sojourned for 130 years. Sojourned. What does that mean? This idea of sojourn refers to a temporary stay. Jacob recognizes that even though he has lived 130, different, 130 years, he's lived in different places for decades. He lived in Mesopotamia with his uncle for decades. He, he grew up in Canaan for decades. He's lived there since for decades. And even in spite of how long he's lived in these places, he knows that he is sojourning. This is just a temporary stay for him. Maybe you've heard this phrase thrown out. It's often used to criticize Christians uh, that some Christians are so heavenly minded that they're no earthly good. It means that they are so busy thinking about heaven that they are worth nothing here on earth. They don't contribute anything on earth. And it sounds profound. It rolls off the tongue nicely, but it makes no sense. In fact, the Bible teaches us just the opposite. It tells us that, that we, when we're most effective in life, those times are when we have a radical confidence and a radical focus on the things that are to come. That we are radically focused on Jesus' return, on our future home with him. It's in those times that we can do the most good here on earth. We must just like Jacob here, know that our lives, whether they are good or bad, they are simply a sojourn. That the years that we have been given are not the fulfillment of God's promises. They're not the fulfillment of God's promises. And that's the backbone to blessing others. It reminds us of our calling when we are prone to distraction. When we are prone to get distracted with all the things that God has given us, which is very very common in our culture today. It reminds us of our calling. It is the compass that points us back to true north. And it is this truth that rescues us from depression that can sink in when we find ourselves in the valleys, when we think that there's nothing good for us in this life. 
This is an anchor of hope in life's storms. You see, if this life is all there is, if God's promises to us will be fully fulfilled in this life, there is indeed a great... uh, I have a great respect for those who are hopeless. Because there's nothing to look forward to, but this right perspective, this perspective of sojourning, of a temporary stay, gives us the strength to endure. I heard an illustration this past week uh, that I thought was, was very appropriate. Uh, it, was, it was an illustration of traveling. Uh, let's say this coming Wednesday, you are uh, going to go visit some family for Thanksgiving, and you set off, and uh, your family lives you know, a couple hundred miles away, and so you, you begin your journey, and as you get halfway there, uh, the, the snow is just so bad. We don't want to think about it. We don't want to talk about it, but it's coming. And the, the snow, maybe not Wednesday, but in this illustration it is. Uh, it's coming on Wednesday, and you get stuck in the snow, and you have to pull over and spend the night somewhere in the middle of nowhere. The only hotel that is open is just the worst place that you could have hoped for. It is one of those places where you feel like you have to sleep with all your clothes on so that way you stay clean and, and safe. Now, in that situation, you have, to spend there, uh, you have to spend a night there. In the middle of the night, are you going to go out? Are you going to buy a new bedspread? Are you going to buy some new curtains? Are you going to buy a, a new bathtub and, and put it in and install it for them? Of course not. It's just one night. No matter how bad it may be, you're going to put up with it. Now, uh, think, of, think of the other situation. Imagine you're, you're traveling for business. As you're traveling, you, uh, you arrive at your hotel and you get bumped up to a, a very nice room. Everything's comped. They just were out of the rooms that you paid for, and, and so they gave you this nice one. Maybe you got bumped up to first class on your flight. And this wasn't just one of those, you know, short hop jumps, but this was a long flight where where first class actually matters. Now, are you going to begin to expect, because you got blessed for these these two times, you're going to begin to expect that that's your lot in life, that you deserve to be blessed in that way every single day? No. No matter what good or bad comes our way, these these things can give us truth, the same uh, view as we sojourn. No matter how bad the hotel may be, it's still only temporary. It's outweighed by God's good promises to us. No matter how good things may seem when we get bumped up to first class, it's still outweighed by God's goodness for us. No matter what good comes our way, no matter what bad comes our way, our life is temporary. But our calling is not. We are called to something infinitely better than what we experience in this life So whatever comes, simply remember this. We live into our calling as God's people. We live into our calling as God's children when we bless others. That's the way that we live into our calling. That's the way I live into my calling as God's child. That's the way I understand my calling when I bless others. But we might be saying, well, what what exactly does that look like tangible for me today? At the perfect opportunity with Thanksgiving and Christmas coming. Perfect opportunity. Out in the foyer, we have a, a gold wrapping paper box. 
But we want to fill with presents for kids that will be handed out at the Dream Center. Maybe that's what it means for you to be a blessing. Maybe it's as simple as that. You don't have time. You don't have energy. But you know what? You can spare $10. And so you go ahead and buy a present and put it in that box. Maybe for you, you, you don't have money, but, but, but you, can, you can offer up your time. You can offer up your relationships. And so you say, I'm going to bless others by inviting them to Thanksgiving. I'm going to bless others by inviting them to Christmas if they don't have any plans and if I'm just going to be here in town. Whether it's for your family or not, you're going to invite them. Maybe that's what God is calling you to do, to bless others. Maybe for you, it means to sacrifice time to serve a church on Christmas Eve. And maybe for others still, it's to volunteer at the countless number of, of good, wonderful, nonprofit ministries that we have here in town. All very tangible ways for us to be a blessing. I don't know what God is calling you to do, but the calling is clear to bless others. And why not use this season to be the, the, the starting point for those of us who haven't started? Why not use Christmas? Why not use Thanksgiving to express our gratitude to God for what he has done for us by filling out our calling of being a blessing to others? And so just two words for us as we close. First word of advice is this. Deep is better than wide. Deep is better than wide. I firmly believe that it is better for you to go all in in one area, devoting all that you can to one rather than spreading it out as much as you can to multiple areas. Your impact is going to be much greater, and it's going to be much more rewarding, but it's going to cost a whole lot more. It's going to cost a whole lot more of you, through greater sacrifice, to go deep in one area rather than wide over a number. I think deep is better than wide. And second, related, do for one what you want to do for all. Do for one what you want to do for all. When we look at all the needs that are around us, it can be overwhelming. It can be simply overwhelming to look at everything that's wrong with our world and to say that I'm supposed to be a blessing, that I'm supposed to do something about this can just leave us paralyzed. We look and there's starving kids on the other side of the world and there's starving kids here in Spencer. There's human trafficking on the other side of the world. There's human trafficking here in the United States. There's hunger. There's homelessness. There's broken families. There's bullying. There's a number of things. Medical needs. All of these things can paralyze us when we look at everything that's facing us. Instead of getting paralyzed, instead of doing nothing because of paralysis, just do for one what you wish you could do for everyone. Take that desire to do good for as many people, to help everyone that you can, but you realize you can't, realize that you're finite. Take that desire to do for everyone and just do it for one. Do it for one ministry. Do it for one family. Do it for one person. Do for one which you wish you could do for everyone. Take some time this afternoon. As a family or on your own, reflect. What does it mean for you to be a blessing this Thanksgiving? What does it mean to, to be a blessing this Christmas and Christmas season? We're not just doing this because Christmas is the season for doing good, but because Christmas is the season of the Christ. The one who makes us, uh, makes us sons and daughters of God through his blood. And as sons and daughters of God, 
we receive the same calling to bless those who are around us. We live into our calling as God's children when we bless others. Let's pray. Lord, we, we thank you for the calling that you have placed on our lives. It is a high and holy calling. It is a difficult calling, one that is impossible to live out on our own, but we are not alone. We have one another, but more than that, we have your spirit who lives inside us. And so as you guide us, as you direct us, as you nudge us, as you lead us, as you convict us, as you point us, I pray that we would be willing to listen and that we would be willing to follow. God, I pray that you would give us eyes to see the needs of those who are around us, that we could be a blessing that honors you and points to you. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. This has been a presentation of Crosswinds Church. More of Pastor Jordan's sermons can be found online at crosswinds.tv. Thanks for being with us, and may God continue to enrich your life.